I was never asked about my adoption in any depth. It was mentioned, but I always feel like my therapies were like, how do we fix Caitlin now to make her okay with her environment? Uh, Or how do we fix her so that she can go home and her parents can manage her? It was never like, what's going on with you? How are you feeling? What can we do to make your life better? Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and on today's show is Caitlin. When I spoke to her, she was living in New York City, planning a move to Northern Virginia. But what you're about to hear is her story of rebellion against her mother's rule when they lived in Pennsylvania and her eventual investigation into her roots in Florida and South Carolina. At times, the search left Caitlin very puzzled and even totally dejected. After an intensive search, she found her birth mother and sisters and her birth father in prison. I hope you'll forgive the audio on this episode. This is Caitlin's journey. The first five years of Caitlin's life were picture perfect. Her parents had been married for quite a while and struggled with infertility when they decided to adopt through Catholic Charities. Caitlin had an older adopted sister, but she wasn't nearly as curious about adoption as Caitlin. Unfortunately, Caitlin's parents divorced when she was about six. Probably around the age of eight or so, my mom gave me an envelope that had my non-identifying information in it. At the age and of one eight? of the pages had, I think it was about eight, yeah. Wow. I was young. I remember that. Um, my sister's adoption was lawyer to lawyer, and her mother was a teenager. That's, that's like literally all that we know. But my mother was older and put in a lot of information, apparently. And, of course, you never know if that information is true or false. There was something. You know, yeah. It gave me a sense of what was possible. It was fairly detailed. Um, Do you know why, I, I remember, why Why she gave it to you at the age of eight? Was it because you had been that inquisitive up until that point? I think it was to kind of shut me up because she, I would, I would pick her brain. <laughs> and even to this day, I still ask her certain questions. Those pages were full of health information and a lot of background about her maternal side, but very little about her paternal side. One section described her birth mother as light-complected, and Caitlin's caseworker told her adoptive mother at the time that she and the birth mother resembled one another. Caitlin describes herself as having very curly hair. She says her skin tans very easily, and her boyfriend growing up, now husband, speculated that perhaps she was Puerto Rican. A best friend even asserted that her birth father was probably black. But Caitlin never knew for herself. She said during those early years, her parents began to fight. Their divorce was imminent, and even as a little girl, she could feel the tension between them. Caitlin, her mother, and her sister had moved to central Pennsylvania back then, and her maternal grandparents moved there too from the Midwest in order to help their daughter raise Caitlin and her older sister. Her mother studied in night school, so Caitlin spent the evenings at her grandparents, and they got very attached to one another. I ended up spending a lot of time with them, and they were kind of a godsend because I was very outgoing and active, 
and my mother was, you know, my doctor mother was under a lot of stress, and I don't think she was prepared to raise two girls on her own. Mm-hmm. I mean, my dad was still in the picture, but he was a pharmacist. He worked a lot. We only saw him every other weekend. So, you know, pretty much she had full responsibility for us. My evenings were spent at my grandparents, and I developed an extraordinarily close relationship with my grandfather. Mm-hmm. He was probably the only, like, true father figure I had growing up. He, he's my best friend. I mean, he, he was a quiet man, but he, the one thing he always told me is you're not going to learn anything if you don't ask questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. My mom tried to raise me as being seen and not heard. And yet my grand, my grandfather, and then also my adoptive aunt, uh, my mom's sister-in-law, they kind of embraced my personality and my, you know, my, my spirit, I guess. Caitlin believes her adoptive mother was deeply impacted by her inability to have children naturally. She was raised on a pathway that would make her a good wife and mother. So when she couldn't have children, she may have felt like she wasn't good enough. Caitlin says her adoptive mother was very controlling and their opposing personalities made their home life challenging. From a very early age, I remember she she controlled everything, even down to the toys I played with. Like I had no choice in my own self-expression. And I'm someone who, yeah. I'm someone who is artistic and musical, and I don't ever shut up. I am <laughs> very active, and she's just complete opposite of all of that. Mm. Um, so that must have been stressful for actually, you then to be held back in that way. Yeah, and that, that turned me into a quote-unquote problem child because mm. she didn't understand, I guess, what I needed. And then my adopted sister, she was quiet and kind of mousy and just, you know, kept to herself and liked to read books. And, you know, she was more like what I guess my mother expected out of a child. Mm -hmm. We were two. And I think it was also hard for my sister growing up because I I tended to get more attention or at least demand more attention. But yeah, no, it was definitely difficult. And then I was also raised in a really strict church. Mm -hmm. And my mother being a divorced mom, the church kind of did look down on her. And so I just started seeing really weird things that didn't feel right to me when I was at a fairly young age. It was just uncomfortable to me. And I remember my grandfather telling her that he felt that she that the church was basically kind of like a cult. And I remember him, you know, kind of just telling her that it was not a, a good thing for us, you know, young kids to kind of be around that. It was too intense. I kind of, I've, I've suffered from some pretty severe anxiety as of late, and now, reflecting back now, I do realize that I had some pretty major anxieties. A lot of her anxiety stemmed from her mother. Threatening if I didn't behave that I was going to burn in hell and, you know, get my heart right with the Lord because if God comes back, then I'm going to be left here on earth alone, a young child. Like, a horrible thing, mm-hmm. horrible thing. Now, as a mother herself... She finds that she's lost in her ability to guide her son spiritually. To underscore how traumatic her young life was with religion, Caitlin shared that her mother used to read the book of Revelations to her at bedtime. I'm not a spiritual person myself, so I took a few moments to read a little bit about it for myself to understand what that experience might be like for a child. I learned that Revelation speaks of apocalypse, eternal hell, and false prophets being cast into a lake of fire. Like you might as well put on a, a, a horror movie for a little kid. Caitlin's older sister really rebelled when she became a teenager, hanging out with boys and doing drugs. 
Her antics made Caitlin closer to her mother because her older sister was out of the house, leaving her mother less stressed in the house. They went antiquing and horseback riding together, bonding with one another. But as Caitlin grew up, her mother tried to hold her back, attempting to preserve her as a little girl. She tried to shelter Caitlin, never talking to her about boys. Then she rebelled in her teen years, too. It was my freshman year of high school. I moved out of her house. Wow. Um, That's early. I moved in with my dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my sister was already, my sister was actually in placement. Um, she had to go live, you know, in like a group home due to you know, criminal type, small, mis- underage drinking, things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Misdemeanor. You know, we grew up in a small town. There's not much to do. And so when you're a teenager and you're hanging out with the wrong crowd, you're probably going to get in trouble. So I also followed that path of getting in trouble and, I was institutionalized twice as a teenager. Institutionalized how? Um, well, I got, I got I got some underage drinking charges in my freshman year of high school. Mm-hmm. I did get caught with marijuana, so I was put on probation. And what put me into, you know, like a group home or, you know, juvenile detention is um, I got in an argument with my father. Because the thing with my adopted father is he never really intervened. Even mm-hmm. back when he was still married to my mom, he would never argue about anything. He would never say what he thought was best for us. He kind of just along with everything until things came to a head. He was very, oh, okay, whatever. You know, whatever you girls want to do. There was never really any structure or guidance or, or fathering. It was like, yes, these are my kids and I'm financially responsible for them. But that was pretty much the extent of it. So he and your mother were complete opposites in terms of their parenting yeah, style. And she is a clamped-down controller, and he was completely open and just, whatever you say is fine with me. Yes. Caitlin's adopted dad is also older than her mother, so he was more of a hippie, and her adopted mother grew up pretty conservative. Further painting the picture of how opposite her parents are, she revealed that her father is a nudist and an atheist whereas her mother is a Pentecostal evangelical. Polar opposites. Caitlin said it was hard to grow up in such diametrically opposed households. It required managing endless boundaries in her mother's house, then complete freedom every other weekend in her father's house. In her words, they couldn't get an inch with her mother, but they could get a whole football field with their father. The inconsistent structure was very confusing for her, especially when her rebellious teen years began. So, Caitlin is feeling out of control in high school, and it was tough for her as an experiential learner to be bored to death by classes like ninth grade history. She skipped classes, blatantly telling her history teacher she wasn't attending when he asked. She said she had no goals in life, and two underage drinking charges against her. Caitlin was on probation until she got in an argument at her dad's house. And what what took it over from being just, you know, a kid on probation to being institutionalized is that I was at my dad's house and took it over your argument about what I was I was out of control or something, you know. And I went out in our backyard and I was on the phone with my now husband at the time and I was like, I don't want to live here anymore. I don't know where I'm gonna go. I can't go to my mom's house. I hate her, I hate my dad, I hate my stepmom, I hate everybody. I just don't want to be here right now. And I couldn't go to his house. So um, my probation officer got on the phone with me. And I remember the police officer coming out and asking me, do you want to stay here tonight? Because your only other option is to go to the kids' shelter. And I said, yeah, 
take me there because I don't want to be here. Wow. So I basically volunteered myself to be taken away. So I spent two nights in the shelter. She saw a girl in the shelter that she didn't care for too much. So she decided she actually didn't want to be there. But once you're in residence with a facility of that sort, you can't just leave. You have to proceed through proper channels to return home. Her exit was a violation, so she was then considered a runaway. A police officer who knew her family happened to pick her up, returned her to the shelter, but he confiscated her shoes. I left again in my bare feet and just tried to get a ride out to my house. Like, I just didn't want to be there. Didn't know where I wanted to be. Yeah, it sounds. I didn't want to be at either my parents' house. I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be controlled. I didn't want anyone. It's not even. Not even. It's not that I didn't want any. I didn't want anyone to tell me what to do. I just didn't want to be in any of the environments that apparently I was only legally allowed to be in. Right. Like I just wanted to get the hell out of there. (laughs) Um, So after the second time I left, they took me out to the actual detention center like lock-up jail. Caitlin's probation officer knew the whole situation. Of course, she recognized Caitlin's intelligence but wondered what to do with her. Her PO found a great group home 90 minutes from her hometown. They were an adoption and foster agency with a group home on campus. It was a more relaxed atmosphere, focused on therapy over discipline. And I really started getting, you know, some counseling and some therapies and, and things like that. But the one thing that stuck out to me now that I think about it is I was never asked about my adoption in any depth. It was mentioned, but I always feel like my therapies were like, how do we fix Caitlin now to make her okay with her environment? Uh, or how do we fix her so that she can go home and her parents can manage her? It was never like what's going on with you? How are you feeling? What can we do to make your life better? It was like, let's put a Band-Aid on this, Mm -hmm. and then we'll send you home. Caitlin was a group leader, facilitating group meetings and giving motivational speeches to tamp down the other girls' rebellious outbursts. Her leadership earned her more of the highest privileges. She was in a place with structure, but she was allowed to be herself. They were embraced as individuals, and the focus was on working on themselves. Caitlin is still in touch with some of the women from the program today. As we talked, Caitlin mentioned that some of the other girls also didn't know their parents. They were in jail. The girls had been in foster care and... Another friend of mine, her brothers were either adopted out or put in foster care. So she had these two little brothers but never had contact with them. And I remember thinking that was so sad. That's not right. Those are your brothers. Yeah. Like, that's not right that you can't, you, you guys are kids. Like, what did you do that you can't see? Because they weren't allowed to see each other, which I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they shared the same mother, and to me, they weren't, you know, having no contact was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the things in my non-identifying information is that I have a half-biological sister who's six years older than me. She was about six years old at the time of my birth. Mm-hmm. And I always remember thinking about her. And I was like, she was sick. She would have had to have known her mom was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So she has to know about me. You know, I always kind of held on to that, that, you know, not only did I have this information about my birth mother, but like, I have a sister. Yeah, There is another cool. person out there that shares, you know, this maternal connection with me. And I always used to, when I would talk about my adoption, I'd always include her as a detail. You know, I don't know who she is, but I have a sister. 
you know, didn't know who she was until recently. So. <laughs> wow. That's really interesting that you felt that deep connection with her that you always wanted to mention her. Yeah. Um, and my boyfriend now also says that, um, you know, she, I was, cause I was always a presence in her life. She, I don't think she really understood the whole thing, but she knew that, you know, our mom was having a baby and that the baby couldn't come home. So she did, you know, from an early age, she, I, I've talked to her about it and she doesn't remember a lot around that time other than like mom couldn't bring the baby home. Wow. Um, so again, she's always known about me. When Caitlin turns 19 years old, she signed up with the Florida Adoption Reunion Registry, but nothing happened. When she and her husband got pregnant, his curiosity for all things medical kicked in, and he wanted to learn more about his genetic contribution to their son. They decided they would both take DNA tests using 23andMe. In the spring of 2015, their results were returned, and of course, they revealed cousin matches for Caitlin. And I had a couple of, like, second to fourth cousin matches. And it immediately clicked to me, like, wait, I'm actually related to these people. Mm -hmm. Somewhere down the line, this person and I have someone in common. She started messaging her paternal cousins, Kimberly and Julia. Kimberly didn't know who her own birth father was, but it was clear they were related on her paternal side, so Kimberly couldn't help. When she connected with Julia, Caitlin learned that she was adopted too, not in reunion, and therefore she couldn't help. Caitlin began to wonder if she came from a long line of adopted people. Next, Caitlin's cousin Bernice reached out to her to try to learn more about her own European heritage as an African-American woman. Bernice was helpful in explaining DNA matching to Caitlin, who was a novice at the time she obtained her results. Caitlin moved to JetMatch where she connected with her cousin Karen, her closest match. Karen looped in her own father, who knew a lot about the family's history, leading her to more family tree information on the Russell family tree. She had so much research to do, it took her months. Bernice and Caitlin finally traced themselves back to Orangeburg, South Carolina, where one of their distant grandfathers, with the last name Russell, had 16 children, approximately 96 grandchildren, and therefore, hundreds of descendants. Caitlin knew she had to find a link back to someone who might have moved to Florida, where she was born, in her distant past. And Bernice actually went to the National Archives and did some research on Levi Russell and traced down. And she finally found one of Levi's kids, Harold Russell, had three children that actually left South Carolina and moved to Polk County, Florida, which is where I was born. And, uh. you know, it was far enough back that it was very possible that I came from one of those three. I spent probably three or four months there tracking down every single descendant of Inez, Stroman, and Edward Dukes Russell. My God. <laughs> I tracked down so many people. She finally got connected to her cousin Margaret, who also didn't know who her birth father was and has multiple siblings that her mother placed in adoption. Margaret did a DNA test to try to verify their tie to one another and the group of three people Caitlin discovered had moved to Florida. In July 2016, Margaret got her test results and Caitlin was devastated. I actually ended up in the hospital that night for a panic attack because she showed 54 Simon Morgans lower than the other three that I had contacted that didn't know anything. So I'm thinking we're back to square one here. I'm just devastated. Mm. I... 
like for an hour I couldn't breathe. Um, I was visiting my adopted mom at the time and they were both aware that I was, both of my parents were aware that I was searching and I kept them updated and I think she understood, I think she kind of knew how much I had emotionally invested into this and the time and then to get this like devastating result um, that, you know, we weren't as close as we thought was just, it was a kick in the gut. Wow. Uh, and I, Margaret was crying. She was like, I'm so sorry. You know, because she thought maybe I was one of the children, children of one of the siblings that were lost. You know, mm-hmm. you know we thought there was some type of connection there. Caitlin was completely discouraged. She had invested so much researching this one line of her family that yielded no results. A month later, Caitlin received an ancestry DNA test from Margaret as a gift because she didn't know what else to do for Caitlin except offer her another way to continue searching. In mid-September 2016, she got her DNA test results. What she found was an open tree profile for a man named Jerry, who was in his 70s, which seemed odd. Her prior trees had been so expansive, though, she learned it wasn't uncommon for cousins to have huge age gaps between them. Caitlin began searching the artifacts in his profile of relatives. And I looked at one of his aunt's photos. And it was of her when she was a little girl. And my heart stopped. Because I, I saw my eyes. I saw the face I had when I was the same age in that photo. I saw my son. Caitlin learned that her birth father, like others in her family tree, didn't know who his father was either. She called it an NPE, a non-paternal event, which was a term I hadn't heard before. Long story short, my dad is a NPE. You know, he never knew who his father was growing up, and his dad never claimed him. And his dad was the connection to that Russell side. Caitlin messaged Jerry to try to learn more about their shared connections. Her non-identifying information told her that her grandparents had some specific ailments, one causing her grandmother to be confined to a wheelchair, and she knew their causes of death but she was never able to match those details up with anyone on any family tree. Turning to her supporters in the Facebook group, Random Acts of Genealogical Kindness, she requested assistance in locating a death certificate for her grandmother. Someone found the death certificate for a woman they thought was Caitlin's distant relative. I knew that if this was indeed my great-grandmother, that either one of her sons or her son-in-law had to have died of cancer in their 40s. Um, The same person found a death certificate for her son-in-law, and he died of lung cancer at the age of 47. And I remember thinking to myself, 45 and 47, and I was like, does two years make a difference? I was like, you know, if this is the same person. And she's like, that's your grandfather. And I remember just like, I, my son was in his room and I was standing out in the kitchen and I just started like laugh crying. Like, yeah. ugly cry laughing. Yeah. And he's like, Mommy, are you okay? And I'm like, I am so happy. Like, what? The next step was to try to find that man, her supposed grandfather's children. Caitlin knew she had aunts, her birth mother's sisters. She began searching for the siblings on Facebook. Knowing one of her aunts had passed away, the search for her birth mother was narrowed to only two women. Dawn and Kimberly. And one of them was light-complected, but I was dark like the other one. And, you know, over time, people change their looks. And I really am like, it was not a dead giveaway who would be the mother. It was, it was not like, this is, you know, mm. oh, that's obviously my mom. Like, I had no idea. And then also, they're so intertwined on Facebook. 
and their children are so intertwined on Facebook. I couldn't really sort out whose kids were whose. So she reaches out to her cousin Jason, introducing herself as either a half-sibling or a cousin. Caitlin sent the details of her non-ID. She prepared herself for the worst as Jason reached out to his aunt Kim. But the waiting game wreaked havoc on Caitlin's emotions. My emotions were so high, I could not function. I was a horrible mother that week. I neglected my husband. I neglected my child. I don't think I cooked dinner. <sighs> and I was a mess. I was a complete mess. Jason got busy and hadn't contacted his aunt. So when Caitlin messaged him a week later to check in, he apologized and stopped everything to go and call his aunt Kim. You know, like 15 minutes probably passed by, and he sent me a message on Facebook, and he said, call me right now. Your mom wants to talk to you. What? Your real name is Keely. And of course, this all happened at 9 o'clock at night when I was trying to put my son to bed. So I'm hysterical. My kid's feeding off my energy. My husband was busy doing homework at the time. It was a mess. It was a complete mess. Like, people are trying to imagine how these things are going to play out. And like, nope, it just happened all of a sudden. Like, I knew I was close, but like, Damn. I wasn't aware. I didn't have time to prepare for this. So I'm like, what? Of course, it was 9 o'clock at night, and as life would have it, her son just would not go to bed so she could speak with her birth mother. Late that night, Caitlin got her mom on the phone. I, I finally got my mom on the phone, um, and it was, I mean, she was, she was also hysterical. Mm. Um, one thing that kept me going growing up about the possibilities of reunion is because I was so different than my adoptive parents, I always tell myself, if my mother is anything like me, this will be good. It, it'll be good. Yeah. Because I would not foresee myself in the same situation, rejecting a child or not being open. Like, if I had to make that decision, I never, I would have wanted it to be open and, and talked about. Mm -hmm. I'm not someone who would have kept a secret and kept quiet. And I always told myself, and, you know, everyone always reminds me, well, you know, maybe she did drugs or, you know, maybe she was right you know all these horrible things that do happen you know i did have to keep this in the back of my mind but i've i've always been the same person since i was really little and i just i kept telling myself if she's anything like you it'll be okay yeah, it'll be awesome. all right. hmm. and my mom is exactly like me but she actually talks more than me <laughs> she's, <laughs> that. she's energetic and outgoing and nervous and frantic sometimes and just she's wonderful so anyway come to find out you know like you know we started talking and he's oh i've loved you i've always loved you i've hoped i've prayed for this day you know just, she was so excited i mm -hmm. talked to her now husband and he's like your mama has talked about you like you know we've been waiting for this um she's like your sister's not gonna be so excited christine my older sister she's gonna be so excited you know i started getting facebook uh friend requests and messages from people and just, it was, it blew up. Finally, Caitlin got a moment to ask about her birth father. Her mother said, You know, that's something I really want you to talk to your uncle Ernest about. Um, mm -hmm. She's like, I don't want to paint your dad in a bad light because I only, the, the memories I have of him dating him were all good up until I told him I was pregnant with you. Wow. And, you know, she basically told me that she told him she was pregnant and he basically left the room. He was, they were at his mom's house at the time, and he just up and left. Um, a couple weeks later, he had a new girlfriend. He wouldn't talk to my mom. He wouldn't have a conversation with her about it. 
she, you know, she talked to his brother, my uncle Ernest, and was just like, I don't know what to do. Like, she was already a single mom of, you know, six-year-olds, and here she is, 22, pregnant oh, again. Right. And, you know, this man that she loved and thought things were going well with just straight up and peaced out without, without even saying anything. There was, there was no closure. There was no, okay, yeah, I'll give the kid up for adoption. There was nothing. There was no communication. Oh and um, there was actually a guy that took an interest in her while she was pregnant with me. And he was going to try to convince her to keep, keep me. And he would raise me. I've thus spoken with him. I'm like, hey, I'm that baby. You know, that was in really stomach back when you yeah <laughs> but she just she wouldn't have felt right doing that because it would have been just wouldn't have been good and you know now that i know more about my dad's history he didn't grow up knowing his father and um his mom that raised him it was a very abusive home his mother actually lost her leg due to an accident that her husband caused wow. um, he, I mean, she lost her leg because, because he basically like ran her over with a truck. Oh my gosh. Um, alcoholism, abuse, um, sexual abuse. It hasn't been talked about, but my uncle, he was this big 300 pound, big burly bear man. And like, he broke down in tears mm. when I, when I would ask him questions, it was just too painful for him. Um, he loved my dad, his half brother, but. My dad is actually in jail for life. He will not be getting out um, due to some sexual offenses on children. Mm. Um, and, of course, I did start corresponding with him, and he claims that my mom never told him, and he's so excited, and, you know, he loves me, and that he's such a good dad to my other two siblings, who one of them actually does not know he is her father. She's only 13. Mm. Um I'm friends with her on Facebook and I can't, I'm so frustrated because the child in me wants to be like, I'm your sister. We share a father. Mm -hmm. But the adult in me is like, I would probably screw this girl's life up if I told her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. And then I have another sister who's, uh, I think she's 21 or 22 that I think thought she was an only child. And she's the only one who ever really had any contact with her dad. But again, he was out of her life by the time she was like four or something. It's just, it's, it's, it's very bittersweet and like, again, two extremes. Um, you know, my mother's life hasn't been easy, but again, she is a loving mother and has tried her best to take care of, you know, my, my three sisters and, you know, she takes care of her grandkids and, you know, she's in a loving relationship and she's finally, I think, found some peace in her life. Whereas my dad, he's destroyed everything he's ever touched. Mm. And that's been a pattern of behavior since he was a teenager. I've come to the understanding and he's never told me straight out. I've actually been stopped. I've stopped contact with him just because I'm at a point right now with him that I don't know how to get closure on that. Yeah. And until I can figure out what that looks like and what that is, I can't put myself through that because he's not honest with me and he's, he tries to manipulate, you know, the things that he says to put himself in, a, in good light mm -hmm. when I, I know the truth. Caitlin says she's done her research on her birth father, spoken to witnesses in cases against him, and she won't be influenced by his charm offensive into misunderstanding his true character. She's acknowledged that he was put into a terrible situation from an early age. I know that he was not put in a nurturing environment. He was lied to about who his father was. 
his stepfather, you know, the man that raised him, was abusive towards him because he was darker than the rest of his siblings. Like, it was blatantly obvious that his father was not his father. And mm-hmm. he was basically tortured for that. You know, it was just, it's just sad. He didn't have a chance. He didn't have a chance from an early age. I don't think he was ever shown love. And I think the one time in his life that he did feel any type of love, it scared the shit out of him and he ran the opposite direction. Yeah. And by doing that, it affected my life. It affected my mother's life. And every time that did happen, it affects, it affects both of my younger sister's lives too. Mm-hmm. It affects his grandchildren. He has three grandchildren that he's never met and never will meet because he can't. It's, it's weird to me because like things are so positive on the birth mom side. Yeah. And then like, yeah, there's like tragedy and loss and, you know, no closure on this other side. Caitlin said one good thing that came out of her reunion was her ability to finally find links into the Russell side of the family tree. While her birth mother was dating her birth father, he finally figured out who his own birth father was. This is funny because my, my grandfather's surname is Russell. My father's mother's name, my grandmother's surname was Fussell. So I'm a Fussell Russell. <laughs> and they were neighbors and they had an affair and my father was conceived. And my grandfather did say something along the lines of he never said anything about it because he was afraid for my grandmother's life. Like she would have either been killed or beat up or like bad stuff would have happened to her if it was ever said. People knew that, you know, my father was not my, my grandmother's husband's child. It was blatantly obvious just looking at him, but it was never talked about. And God forbid it was said because then it would make it real. The madness with those family members was one of the main reasons her birth mother placed Caitlin for adoption. Given their history of violent behavior, her birth mother didn't want her birth father, nor any of his relatives trying to take custody of her, lawfully or forcefully. Caitlin pointed out an odd irony that her birth father was in reunion with his own birth father the same year that she was given up for adoption as an infant. Naturally, I wanted to go back and hear more about her birth mother. I asked Caitlin to tell me what things were like leading into their first meeting. She said they talked for a few hours during that first phone conversation. And we were texting back and forth constantly. And she's like, I just have to see you because, you know, she's been craving to see me, you know, for the last, at the time it was 28 years. She's like, I just need to touch you. I need to hold you. I just, you know, I, this isn't going to feel real until I see you. And of course, I was all about that. I'm like, I'm going to meet you. <laughs> Caitlin's adopted father was retired down in Florida. So she got herself a cheap flight on a Friday. He picked her up at the airport and she spent the night at his place. She felt like she wanted to vomit. She figured she probably got one hour of sleep, and she was generally a nervous wreck. My adopted dad picked me up. I like almost threw up like a million times on the way there. <laughs> um, I stayed the night with him, didn't sleep. I think I got maybe an hour of sleep, and then he let me. You know, my dad, my adopted dad was really supportive of this. My adopted mom didn't talk to me for a month after I found him, but I think she understands that it is something. She's not getting replaced. We have a lot to work on in our relationship, but. I have a lot to work on in my relationship with my bios, too. So, yeah. so it was like three weeks after I found my birth mom, I was able to get the money for a ticket and fly down there. Um, and I drove myself over to her house, which was only like 10 minutes from my adopted dad's house. Threw up on the way over there. Did you? Um, I did tell my husband to record it, though, because I've watched so many adoption reunion videos. I wanted one. Like, I want one. Mm-hmm. So he was recording. And, you know, I just got out of the car and she just gave me the biggest hug. The biggest hug. It wasn't awkward. Yeah. Um, I already knew what she looked like, obviously, and I talked to her and what she sounded like, but to, to actually see her, 
five minutes after we met, we were sitting down and she drinks more coffee than I do. I love coffee, but she drinks, but she lives <laughs> off coffee. Um, we were talking and there's definitely resemblances, but she was talking and I stopped her mid sentence and I'm like, Oh my God. I was like, you have my tooth. We have the same tooth on the bottom. It's like the third tooth over. It's crooked. It's mm -hmm. at the same exact angle. And she looked at my mouth. She's like, oh, my God, you have my tooth. Of course, that started a full body scan of hands, elbows, legs, and feet. They have the same bone structure, but Caitlin's darker like her birth father, who was about one quarter African American. Caitlin said she's also realized that her biological sister, Denise's daughter, looks like a twin to her own son. Even Caitlin's mother-in-law admits her own grandson looks like Caitlin's biological family. But Caitlin is a little disappointed that she doesn't look quite like anyone. At the time of their reunion, Caitlin was living in New York, and the second time she met her birth mother was up north at Caitlin's home. 2017, she came to visit me for the weekend. She'd never been to New York, so that was exciting. You know, and she hit it off with my husband. My husband got to meet her. This is the first time my son met her. It was like they never knew that each other didn't exist. Like, they hit it off perfect. Really? It was, my son's very, you know, outgoing anyway. So, like, he was like, oh, hey, Mama. How are you? You're Mommy's mom. Like, <laughs> welcome to my house. Let's be friends. For their third visit, Caitlin drove down to Florida. But she timed it so that she could attend the Russell family reunion in South Carolina. She talked to so many people whom she had researched and shared how everyone was related. I got to meet, you know, people that were are descendants of my third grandfather, the original person I had to research for. Oh, I finally got to meet Margaret. I hadn't met Margaret yet, and Margaret played such an important role. I ended up helping her find her birth father. We've since found one of her lost siblings. Wow. Um, you know, there's still progress in that, but I've... Not only have I found my answers, but I found, you know, fulfillment in helping other people. When the long drive down the East Coast was over, Caitlin was in Florida at her birth mother's house. She spent a week with her relatives, and things went really well, but she said it was really hard to end that third visit. I had a really hard time after this last visit, so I was driving home, and I was, I was almost back up, you know, to my mother-in-law's house all the way back up in VA, and I had to go to the hospital for another panic attack. I just, for some reason, I, I felt so comfortable being there for a week. You know, I saw some of my cousins, I saw my aunt, I saw all my nieces and nephews, and, you know, it was just wonderful. Edison had a blast. Mm -hmm. And then, like, I don't know what it was, but I just was hysterical, and I couldn't, I had to pull a car over. It was awful. And then I, I, I told, you know, my birth mom, she also has um, panic attacks and anxiety and depression. And, you know, we have some of the same, like I said, she's exactly like me. I was right. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I was open and honest with her. And I said, listen, I'm like, I'm in a really bad spot right now. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what this means. I don't know where to go from this. You know, I was struggling with stuff that was, you know, with my dad. There's, it was just so much. It was so much. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to leave. I actually ended up staying an extra day there and then finally forced myself to get in the car and leave. And it was awful. Horrible. So it almost felt like someone died, even though like, yeah. they're all still very alive and well in Florida. Mm -hmm. It was just like someone ripped the umbilical cord apart again. Like, yeah. it was horrible. Um, but I took a break. And, you know, living in New York City at the time, I was able to find a therapist that um, specialized in adult adoptees. And I started seeing her and talking to her and unfortunately we moved again so you know i only got a couple months sessions you know yeah. with her 
but um, it's something I'm definitely going to pursue. I feel like I never really took care of myself mentally um, or emotionally. I It was always slapping a Band-Aid on it, getting to the next point in life. But this is something that I need to deal with and, and understand. And even though things are great with my mother, they, you know, we both want contact, we want visits. But because she's in Florida and I'm up here, it's like dangling a carrot or a bone, you know, you just, right. the need for contact and, you know, physically seeing each other is there, but yet we can't facilitate that. And texts and phone calls just aren't good enough. Yeah. You know, she feels bad because she complains about it. And I feel bad because I can't be closer. And, but we are talking about it and we're honest about how we feel. And I think that has been the best thing. That's great. And well, that's a, that happens a it's, lot with people. You know, they, the distance horrible. can be really challenging. And, you know, you find somebody and you want to meet them and you want to talk to them and you want to think about them all the time and you want to be in touch. And distance making it so hard is that's really really tough. But thankfully, you're moving yeah. to Virginia so at some point. So yeah, just I was like, I'm gonna be closer. like three hours. I'm gonna be three hours closer. But my husband got a big pay raise with his job, so I can get a plane ticket. Yeah, so awesome! Wow, this has been really amazing. I'm I'm really glad for you that you were able to track down your your biological mother. I mean, that path that you took sounds like it was so tedious but you sound like you're a real like strong researcher based on your ability to track just, those people it was down. nonsense that's unreal it was a whole bunch of nonsense <laughs> yeah i'm sorry too though that you're not able to sort of create a bond with your biological father i mean his incarcération is i, I don't really expect to yeah you know i just want him to be responsible for the things that he's done that that's that's I think what closure would be for me is him owning up to everything that he has done yeah. and how it's affected everybody. Yeah, I hear that's that. That's all I want from him. That's all, right. all I probably could get from him. So, Okay, but. Caitlin, I got to go. Take care. Thank you so much for sharing right. your story. Thank you. Good to hear from mm -hmm. you. Bye. All the best. Bye. Hey, it's me. Caitlin's search to find her birth family had some of those disappointing ups and downs so many of us experience. We invest heavily in a research angle that we hope will yield results, only to find a dead end. Thankfully, she was able to track down an open ancestry family tree and her mother's and aunt's profiles on Facebook. It was really cute to hear that she was having such a great time connecting with her birth family that she didn't want to leave Florida. I was sorry to hear that her birth father was incarcerated, and it's sad to think that the closure she wants, him taking ownership of his actions and their cascading impacts, is unlikely to happen. Still, she figured out who he is, and sometimes that's all we get from a search. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Caitlin's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can choose to share your whole story, maintain some privacy about parts of your story, or share completely anonymously. You can find the show at facebook.com slash whaireally or follow me on Twitter at whaireally. And please, if you like the show, you can subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, 
it would mean so much to me if you would take a moment to share a rating or leave a comment. Those ratings can help others find the podcast too.